Well, good morning, City of Hope Church. Uh, welcome to our online services. Um, we went back over uh, due to the coronavirus epidemic and the increase in cases, so we've uh, decided to go back to online services. I want to say before we get started how, uh, how proud I am of Clay and Andre and the leadership in the church. I know that you guys are in good hands and uh, they're looking out for your interest and so they're willing to do whatever it takes to make sure that uh, our people are safe. And uh, I appreciate them very much. I'm very proud of how well the church is doing. These are challenging times, not the easiest uh, time to be leading uh, a church, but uh, you have good leaders in place and uh, ministry is continuing to go on, and so I'm, I'm grateful for that. Uh, obviously, I've not been here in a while. Of course, we've had no services for uh, over two and a half months. Then we went back to services, and I was out of town. I was in um, Madisonville, Kentucky, uh, um, the week that we had all, uh, open services, and then the following week we were out of town again, and then the last week we were in Ohio. Uh, so there's been a lot of traveling going on. I also want to uh, say that I appreciate all of the prayers and messages and uh, words of encouragement during uh, this difficult time with uh, Rick's passing. And um, it's been a hard time for me, but uh, it's been a hard time for a lot of people. But uh, everything that makes moments like this difficult is the result of our selfishness. We miss him, but we're going to continue to carry on the work. And so, uh, again, just want to say thank you for all of uh, your prayers and care and concern. But uh, this morning, I want to share with you uh, a message called Fearless or Fearless. And before I read my text, I want to mention that not all forms of fear are bad. And basically, there's two types of fear that uh, are, are present. There's a good fear and there's a bad fear. And, uh, and a good example of good fear would be a fire alarm. Uh, when a fire alarm goes off, obviously, it, it scares us. But it more than scares us, it warns us and awakens us that there's danger present. And it helps us to take appropriate action to uh, go to safety. Uh, another good example of, uh, of good fear would be an alarm clock. Uh, every time the alarm wakes us up, either it's for work or school or whatever it may be, you know, that's a good form of fear. But there's obviously a, a bad type of fear. There's good and bad fear. The scripture says that, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Obviously, that's a good thing. It says the fear of the Lord is, causes us to depart from evil. Obviously, that's a good thing. But then the scripture also talks about there being a spirit of fear. It talks about the fear of man. And so uh, we have to be able to distinguish between good fear and, and bad fear. And if there's one thing that's going on uh, in our nation today is that there is uh, a, an onslaught attack of fear and instability that is obviously uh, very concerning to a lot of people. But fear can become something that's good to help us remain safe and to do the right thing. Fear can also be something that can dominate us and control us. But God never uses fear to uh, dominate or control. God uses faith to set us free. And again, one last thing, you know, I've been praying and seeking God about uh, this pandemic, what's been going on. Uh, God is not absent nor silent during this time. And uh, as I was praying and reading, uh, if you study the book of Exodus, and we're all familiar with the story of how that God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, 
and uh, was taking them uh, into the promised land. And, and the scripture talks about there being uh, plagues released uh, on the nation of Egypt. Now, I want you to know that all of the plagues that are listed in that particular story were designed to get or to help set God's people free. Now, uh, the plague in, within itself was not a good thing, but God used that plague ultimately to set his people free from the bondage of Egypt. And I honestly believe that whether we're able to see it or whether we're not, that God is using this pandemic. He didn't cause it. He didn't send it upon us, but God is using this to, I believe, set people free. There's a lot of things that we can become addicted to and controlled by and consumed with that I believe that as, as a result of so much being shut down that God is able to help us come to a place where He's freeing us from some of these things that we have grown dependent to. So it's not all bad news uh, during this time. Uh, there's good news, and the good news is that God's still on the throne. God is working behind the scenes even when we can't see that He's working. And God will ultimately fulfill His purpose in spite of what we are having to face during this time. So... With that being said, I wanted to give that as just a little bit of an introduction. I'm going to be reading from the book of Numbers, chapter number 13. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 3, and then we're going to skip down to verses 17 through 20. And Numbers 13, starting at verse 1, says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel. Each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, every one a leader among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord, all of them who were heads of the children of Israel. Now, it goes through the list of names. We will mention those briefly during the message, but let's skip down to verse 17. And it says in verse 17, Then Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, Go up this way, into the south, go up into the mountains and see what the land is like, whether the people who dwell there are strong or weak, few or many, whether the land they dwell in is good or bad, whether the cities they inhabit are like camps or strongholds, whether the land is rich or poor, and whether there are forests there or not, be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to uh, share your word with your people. Uh, we're grateful for this uh, media platform, for the media team that's making this happen. And we pray, God, that you would send your word out and that, Lord, it would accomplish what you intend for it to do. Now, Lord, we ask you to open up our hearts and our minds. Speak to us during this time when fear is so prevalent in our nation and even in our community. And I pray, God, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to understand and help us to receive from you specifically the instructions and what your spirit would have us to hear. You said, he that has ears to hear, let him hear what the spirit is saying to the church. Speak to us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, just a little bit of, of background concerning this story. Uh, the children of Israel had been in Egypt for 400 years. They were in bondage there. 
And God at the appointed time sends a man by the name of Moses to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. He comes, God judges the nation, and he begins to lead the people out of Egypt. God parts the, the Red Sea. They walk across on dry land, and they enter into what's called the wilderness. Now, the scripture says that from the place they entered the wilderness to Canaan or what is called the promised land. It was an 11 day journey and it would have only took the children of Israel 11 days to enter into the promised land, but ultimately it ended up taking 40 years. And the reason that was the case is because it's one thing for God to bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. It's another thing to bring the Egypt out of the children of Israel. That's what the wilderness was designed to do. But even more importantly, as we are looking and searching and following God to enter into our promised land, one thing this story teaches us is that from the place that we receive the promise of God to the place where we uh, see the fulfillment of the promise of God, there's usually a period of time where the exact opposite happens. And so when we are going through uh, what we're going through today, we're trying to navigate through this uh, pandemic wilderness, we, we need to be committed to following God. It's important that we, we do that. But don't be surprised if you don't see the, the fulfillment of what God's promising happen quickly. You know, God uses these times to help develop us just like He did with the children of Israel. The Scripture says that, that we take the examples that were written in the Old Testament, specifically of the children of Israel in the wilderness, and there are New Testament parallels that we can extract from that that teach us about the New Testament life, the new covenant of life that we have in Jesus Christ. And so we're going to look at a little bit of that uh, this morning, and, and that's the background. So God's brought them out. They've made this journey, and now everybody is on the border of Canaan, which is the promised land. And so Moses says that he's going to send out 12 spies to spy out the land. And we know the story goes on to say that after these spies went out and looked into the promised land, they came back and they brought a report. Now, 10 of these spies brought back a negative report and two of these spies brought back a positive report. And what we need to understand about this particular part of the story is that all 12 spies saw the same thing, but they interpreted what they saw differently. Now, what caused them to interpret the same thing differently? There's a lot of things that uh, affect how we see things. See, what you recognize determines what you receive. What you see also empowers us to see. So it's important that we are looking at what we're dealing with from the right perspective. And so I want to share with you four things that... Uh, happen when we look through the eyes of faith and four things that happen when we look through the eyes of fear. And the first thing that happens, point number one, if you're taking notes, I'd encourage you to do that. But uh, if you're taking notes, the first point I, I want to make is that when we look through eyes of fear, we tend to exaggerate our difficulties. You know, when you look at your problems through the eyes of fear, what happens is your problems get bigger. 
See, what you focus on determines how you feel. What you focus on actually gets bigger. As a matter of fact, when we focus on our problems, our problems become exaggerated. They become far greater than what they really are. You've heard the terminology that that says that you make a mountain out of a molehill. That's true. When you look through eyes of fear, our problems seem to grow and get bigger. Now, here's what the negative report said in verses 27 and 28. The children of Israel, these 10 spies came back with a negative report. This is what they said about the land. They said the land was magnificent, but... Now, that, that's a, a, a very important word. He said the land, they said the land of, uh, uh, is magnificent, but there's giants there and they will kill them. They will kill us. Now, every time that you commit yourself or any time you commit yourself to doing what God has called you to do, whether it's to come out of Egypt and go into the promised land or to step into the calling that God has for your life or for you just to step out in a simple act of obedience. Every time you commit yourself to doing something significant for for God, there's always going to be a big but get in the way. Most of the time it's your big but, but there's always going to be a but in the way. This is what it says in 27 and 28. It says the land's magnificent, but. And most of the time, it's our but that gets in the way. And what I mean by but, I'm not meaning our gluteus maximus. I'm talking about a conjunction word. The word but is a conjunction word. As a matter of fact, the word but means beware unruly tongue. And so a lot of times when we are uh, wanting to believe God and step out on faith and, and fear grips us, we, we have a but problem. But I'm too young. But uh, I, I don't know uh, enough. But uh, I'm uneducated. But I'm poor. But I'm from southeastern Kentucky. What, whatever it is, it's a but problem and you need to get your butt out of the way. They said the land is magnificent but there's giants there and they will kill us. And the point I'm making here is this. Anytime you commit yourself to making a difference in the world, you're going to have to overcome negativity and criticism in order to accomplish that. There's always going to be the naysayers. There's always going to be those that that do not want to uh, see you succeed or will say it could never be done. Everybody says it can't be done until it's done. And listen, when we partner with God, God works through impossible, difficult, and done process. And so with you and God, it's a majority. Now, the problem with these 10 individuals is their negative attitude became contagious. So here they are, and the entire nation of Israel was there. They're excited. They're thrilled that, you know what they're saying to each other? Today's going to be the day. We're going to enter into the promised land. We're excited about it. We're ready to receive the report. We know God's promised it to us. And so these 10 spies come back with a negative report coming from a negative attitude, and the problem is a negative attitude is contagious. There's only one thing more contagious than a positive attitude. That's a negative one. So everybody's excited. Everybody's pumped up. They're looking and believing and hoping and expecting, and they're saying, you know what? Today is going to be the day that God's going to fulfill His promise. That is, until these men come back and give a negative report. And once they give this negative report... The result is 
they changed their minds. Ten people with a negative attitude that had a negative report changed their mind. Now, let me give you some of the names uh, of these individuals that uh, come back with a negative report. Now, if Clay was here, I'd ask him to uh, pronounce these for me because these are not the easiest names to pronounce. But the point of, of bringing them up is that everything in Scripture has been divinely inspired by God. There's, there's no waste. It's infallible. Uh, it, it, it's omnipotent. It, it, it will last. Heaven and earth will pass away, but God's Word will never pass away. So these men, their names are in Scripture. Now, ask, I'm going to ask you, ask yourself this question. Do you recognize any of these gentlemen's name? Remember, they're leaders, so that's important. So, so here's some of the names that they have. Shapa, Ilgal, Palti, Gadiel, Amiel, Sether, Nabi, Jeuel, Shamua. These are some of the names. And, me, and the reason I'm asking you that is, is if you don't recognize their names, and I would dare say the vast majority have no clue who these people are, there's a reason behind it. And the reason it's behind it, and you can go to the, the, the next slide, the reason that you don't remember their names is because nobody remembers the negative, critical people that say it can't be done. If you want to be completely irrelevant, if you want to be completely useless, if you want to be forgotten forever, all you have to do is have a negative, critical attitude. And listen, anybody can become like that if they allow fear to grip their heart. Nobody remembers the complainers. Nobody remembers the whiners. Nobody remembers the doubters, the negative people, the critics. They only remember those that rise up and say we are able to possess the land. So that's the first point that, that I want to make. Here's the second thing that happens when we look through eyes of fear. The second thing is we underestimate our abilities. Now, look what the Scripture says in Numbers 33, verse 13. It says, And we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. Now, this is important because it teaches us, number one, about the power of perspective and it also teaches us about the power of projection. You know, they said, this is how we saw ourselves. We are but grasshoppers. They thought the giants were huge and great and powerful. And they thought of themselves as somebody that is weak and feeble and unable to overcome the giants they were facing. And it says these words. He said, this is how they saw themselves. Not only that, they said, this is how they see us. Now, here's the question. How do they know how their enemy really sees them? They don't know how. They don't know what the enemy's thinking. They don't know how the enemy views them. They don't know how the giants are viewing them. What this is called is, is the word projection. And when we're talking about projection, what we mean by that is when you operate in a spirit of fear, when you look through eyes of fear, you tend to project the way you see yourself on other people. They saw themselves as weak, feeble, fragile, incapable of being able to overcome these giants and then they projected that same fear on their enemies which caused their problem to get bigger caused the giants to get bigger and taller and they saw themselves smaller and smaller now now this is what happens when we project our fear onto others now think about this 
The children of Israel had been slaves for 400 years, but now they've been freed for 40 years. They've been free for 40 years. I mean, you can equate that to somebody being saved and serving God for 40 years. Now, these men and women, these people were not in bondage to Pharaoh, but they were in bondage to a slave mentality. They were enslaved not by Pharaoh. They were enslaved by their own mental self-image. This is how they, they saw themselves. And so uh, one thing we know for sure is that when God brings the children of Israel out, He does that by His own power. But then once we get saved, just like they got saved in the Old Testament, God still requires us to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. God works in us, but we have to work it out. And so up to this point, they've been free for four decades, but yet they were free in the physical sense, but they were in slavery in a mental sense. Now, th that's important. Now, when you look through eyes of fear, you exaggerate your problems, you underestimate your own abilities. Now, let me say this to you as best as I can. Your worth as a person is determined by how much and how high a price Jesus paid to redeem you. Your worth, your value as a person is determined by what Jesus paid to redeem you. What did Jesus pay? He gave it all. When God sent Jesus from heaven to earth, heaven went bankrupt. There's nothing more valuable, nothing more precious, nothing more uh, 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 worthy in heaven, worth more in heaven than Jesus. And so your worth is great in the eyes of God. So your worth is determined by what Jesus did and the price he paid to redeem you. Your identity as a person is determined by what Jesus says about you. Now that's good right there. I want you to get this, grasp this. Don't let this fall to the ground and, and just be empty words. Take it and, and, and make it personal. Your value is determined by the price Jesus paid to redeem you. Your identity is determined by what Jesus says about you. And God is our Father. We know that. But it's one thing to know God as Father theologically. It's another thing to know God uh, as our Father experientially. But the Scripture teaches us that not only is God a Father, the devil's a Father. The devil is actually the Father of lies. And so the devil knows you by your name, but he calls you by your sin. God knows you by your sin, but he calls you by your name. You are somebody because he said you were. You're his beloved. You are his pearl of great price. You are his son, his daughter. You're a child of God. It's not about who you are. It's about whose you are. And I can promise you this much. When you've got Jesus, you've got it all. But you still have to go in and possess the promises of God. Here's the third thing. The third thing that happens when we look through eyes of fear is we start complaining about our lives. You know, Christians are some of the most complaining people I've ever met. And I, I honestly, I don't understand why. I do understand that sometimes we have bad days. 
Sometimes we have good days. I understand things happen. Things fall through. Our expectations are not met. But, but the truth is, if the only thing that Jesus did for you and I was to forgive us of our sins, that'd be enough to never complain for the rest of our lives. But this is what happened to the children of Israel. God brought them out of Egypt. They walked across on dry land because God parted the Red Sea, which is a type and shadow of salvation and baptism and deliverance. These things happen. He did this for them. But here they are on their journey to the promised land, looking into the promised land. And because of a negative report given by 10 people, here they are, they're complaining about their lives. Numbers chapter two verse or chapter 14 verse 2 says that all the Israelites complained against Moses and Aaron. And they said, we wish that we had died in Egypt. In other words, what happens here? They have thrown an all-night pity party. I mean, isn't that pathetic? See, that teaches us something about being a child of God. You can't be pitiful and powerful at the same time. And, and let me say this to you. I've, I've got this on the PowerPoint. Highly critical people are always highly insecure people. Highly critical people are always highly insecure people. It's important for you to realize that, listen, you cannot allow the projection or the perspective or perception of other people to be cast on what God does in your life. You know, God has a purpose and a plan. He has a vision. He has an outcome. There's a reason why you're here. And it's not dictated based upon what somebody else does. It's dictated based upon who you are and what he does in your life. So they start to complain. Here's the fourth thing. The fourth thing that happens is we blame God. We blame God. Can you imagine people blaming God? Maybe you've blamed God. It's very easy to do that. People are fickle. The opinions of people uh, is fickle. But it says here in Numbers 14, verse 3, Why did the Lord bring us out into this land to be killed with the swords? We would have been better off going back to Egypt. You know, what they're saying is this. We know better than what God does. When we start to complain about our lives and when we start to blame God and we start to allow fear to overcome us and we have all this negative attitude and, and, and we're walking around complaining and murmuring. Because here's what happened. You know, the first thing they did was they first they mourned and then they murmured. First they cried and then they complained. And then they said the most ridiculous words that you could ever utter at this particular time. We would have been better off in Egypt. In other words, the, the glory of the good old days is better than our present time. Well, what was so great about being in bondage for 400 years? Let me tell you what was great, at least in their eyes. From our perspective, nothing was. But from their perspective, they would rather be in bondage. Why? Because at least in bondage, they were safe. They may have been slaves, but they were safe. You know what? It's possible for somebody to understand or comprehend or see something from a perspective and think that it's safe slavery or safe slavery is all right. It's better than having to take risk. It's better than to have to fight present battles or fight giants. But they said, you know what? We would rather be back in bondage. And why would they rather be back in bondage? Because at least in Egypt, we 
are aware of, of what's going on. At least in Egypt, we had a little bit of food, a little bit something to drink. In other words, at least in bondage, we're familiar with it. At least in bondage, we are comfortable with it. At least in bondage, we, are, we understand uh, how life is going to be each and every day. But this life of faith, this life of trusting God, this life of following God into the promised land is just too unpredictable. And I would rather remain in bondage, at least that's, at least that's what I'm familiar with, in Egypt. Now, here's a point I want to make. There's no real freedom without taking real risks. There's no real freedom without taking real risks. I want you to know, safety and freedom are two completely different things. You're either moving towards safety and slavery, or you are moving toward risk and freedom. But one thing I know about God, He didn't bring you this far to leave you where you're at. But those are four things that happen when we look through eyes of fear. Let me quickly give you four things that happen when we look through eyes of faith. The first thing that happens is faith makes my problems smaller. Faith makes my problems smaller. And listen, when you start looking through eyes of faith, you start looking at your life and your circumstances from God's perspective. Now, that's important. I want you to know something. There are no big problems in God's eyes. But when you don't look through, an eye, through eyes of faith, you look through eyes of fear, you may know who God is. You, you may even be a Christian. But through eyes of fear, what happens is this. You have a little God, but you have big problems. But if you have a big God, you realize you only have little problems. So the difference is how you view what you're looking at. Those 12 spies saw the same thing but they interpreted what they saw completely differently. We're no different than them. We could very easily be one of those 10 that come back with a negative report. But when you look through eyes of faith, your problems, they actually get smaller. They become more manageable. You know, when you have a big God, you have small problems. When you have a small God, you have big problems. And Abraham made this statement. He, he, he spoke and he said, is there anything too hard for God? We know what the truth is about that. The truth is, there's nothing too hard for God, for nothing is impossible for those that believe. Here's the second thing. Second thing that happens when we look through eyes of faith is that faith opens the door of miracles. It opens the door for miracles. Did you know that God set up uh, the universe with a hierarchy of laws? But he also uh, created the law that is actually greater than the law of physics. You know, the law of faith is actually greater than the law of physics. It's higher than the law of nature. And so this is where miracles come in. And listen, God is saying, when you look through eyes of faith, I can operate outside of the realm of nature, outside of the realm of physics, outside of the realm of this physical world, and I can do things and I can make a way for you where people said he would be no way. He said, I'll make a way where there is no way. Not only that, the Bible says that God, when the trouble comes, when temptation comes, the Bible says God will make a way of escape for us. See, God makes a way of escape, but we have to take the way of escape. And so my question is this. In Mark chapter 11, verses 22 through 24, it talks about speaking to the mountain. 
It says, have faith in God. He says, whoever believes in his heart and doesn't doubt, has faith in God, can speak to the mountain and tell the mountain to be removed and cast in the sea and it'll happen just as he has believed. The question is, what mountain are you facing in your life right now that needs to be moved? What obstacle, what barrier, what hindrance, what's standing in your way? Listen, when the children of Israel finally started entering into the promised land and they were possessing the land, all of a sudden the scripture says when Caleb, who was actually one of the two spies that brought back a positive report, when Caleb came to the part of Canaan that he really liked, he says to Joshua, he says, give me this mountain. Give me this mountain. And it just so happened that Caleb happened to be around 85 years old at this particular time. So Caleb didn't look at the mountain and say, look how great this mountain is. He looks at the mountain and says, mountain, look at how great my God is. There's a big difference between looking through eyes of fear and then looking through eyes of faith. He says, you know what? Give me this mountain. We are well able to go in and possess it. Now, here's the third thing. The third thing that happens when we look through eyes of faith is that it causes God to act upon our behalf. Now, th this is crazy. I, I can't explain why God set things up to be this way. But you know what? God wants you to be his partner. God wants you to partner with him in prayer. He wants you to partner with him in fulfilling his purpose for your life. He invites you to work with him, not for him. There's a big difference. If we're not careful, we'll find ourselves working for God. And it doesn't say that we should work for God. The scripture says we're to work with God. But faith causes God to act on our behalf. It says in Matthew chapter 9, verse 29, it says, according to your faith, it will be done to you. So it's crazy. We are able to decide what God can do and what God can't do in our lives simply because we either have faith or we don't. I mean, think about that. You can either allow God to do anything he wants or you can limit what he can do in your life based upon the level of faith that you have. Listen, if you expect God to do little, guess what God will do? He's going to do little. If you expect God to do a lot, he's going to do a lot. If you don't expect God to do anything, guess what? He's not going to do anything. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20 says, God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we think or ask, according to the power that is at work within us. God says, think of the most incredible, amazing thing that you want me to do in your life and I can do exceedingly, abundantly, above more than you can even ask or think. But here's what it also says. If second best is all that you can believe God for, then second best is all God can do for you. Why? We just read the scripture in Matthew 9, 29. According to your faith, it will be done to you. Do you have faith? Are you looking through eyes of faith? If you are looking through eyes of faith, even in the midst of pandemic, you'll see God moving. Even in the midst of, of difficulty and adversity, you can see God moving. And listen, when you can't trust or when you can't see God's hand, you can always trust God's heart. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And there's times when God is silent, but there's never a time when God is absent. So be encouraged. When you look through eyes of faith, you know that God's with you. Here's the last thing. And we're going to finish this up. When we look through eyes of faith, faith gives me power to hold on in tough times. 
Now, this is really, out of all the things that I've said, this is really what I want to hone in on because I want you to grasp the power of faith. Now, when we think of having faith, we think of things happening just like this. Or we think of the miraculous. All those things happen. Does God do miracles today? Absolutely. Does God heal today? Absolutely. Does God deliver today? Absolutely. Listen, God is still at work and He still does miracles. But having faith doesn't mean that God moves instantly or that God works on our time frame. But when you have faith and you have something to hold on to, you know that sooner or later it's going to be all right. See, faith doesn't always take us out of the problem. Faith sometimes takes us through the problem. Obviously, we're still dealing with the pandemic. God hasn't delivered us out of the pandemic, but God is delivering us through the pandemic. So why should we fear the pandemic? We shouldn't fear it because God is going to bring us through. See, here's something that I've learned in following God. When we follow God and what I know about God's nature... God will either bring us out, He will bring us in, or He will bring us through. Let me repeat that again. That's a good word for somebody. God will either bring us out. That's what He did with the children of Israel when He brought them out of Egypt. He will either bring us in. That's what He did when He brought them into the promised land. Or He will bring us through. And that's what happened as they navigated through the wilderness. But the pathway to the promised land always leads to the wilderness you might be on your way to the promised land, but what you see around you is simply wilderness. Listen, one thing I know about God as well, God will never leave you where you are if you commit to following Him. He'll either bring us out, He'll either bring us in, or He'll bring us through, but He'll never leave us where we are. See, God didn't bring you to where you are today to leave you where you're at. You know, you may be wondering when it's going to happen and, and, and when's God going to fulfill His promise and, and, and when is this prayer going to be answered and when's my loved one going to be healed or, or, or whatever it is that you're praying and seeking God about. I can promise you this much, God did not bring you this far to leave you where you at. Well, how do I know that? Because of Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 says, He that began a good work in you will finish it. You see, the only work God does or the only work that God starts is the work that God's finished. And if you haven't arrived in your promised land, if you haven't seen the, the answer to your prayer, I want you to know something. That doesn't mean it's not on the way. It just means that he's not finished working and using this time and this season that you're in to accomplish a far greater reason for why it's happening. He's either going to bring you out He's going to bring you in or he's going to bring you through. Now, I want to close with this story here. From 1957 to 1975, the United States and Russia were in a, a, a space race. And what they were doing, what they were doing is that they were racing to see how, who would be the first country in the world to send a man to the moon. And, and for a while... Russia was actually ahead of the United States. They were sending up cosmonauts before we actually were. And uh, they were traveling before our astronauts had even entered into space. And a, a, a very famous Russian cosmonaut, he happened to be an atheist, and he was the first man to go around and circle the earth. 
And after he had circled the earth, he come down and he did an interview with the uh, news network. And this is what he said. He said, I was an eagle. And while I was in the heavens, I searched for God and I found no God. Therefore, there is no God. And then all of the atheists and all of the communists and all of the people said, hooray, hooray, there is no God. He proved that there was no God. He's been around the world. He's flew into space. He's circled the earth. He's come back down. He looked for God and he did not find God. We know without a doubt that there is no God. Well, a few months later, John Glenn, who, by the way, just so happened to be a Christian, he had flew up into space, and he circled the earth three times. And when he came down from his trip, he did an interview with the news, and this is what he said. He said, I saw God everywhere. He said, I felt his glory in the heavens. I saw his presence in the stars. I felt his power in the sun. I saw God everywhere. So the question is, which one were right? Which one was right? The answer is they both were. They both were right. Because the Bible says in John 3, 3, it says, unless a man is born again, he can't see the kingdom of heaven. It's important to know which eyes you're looking through because this can determine whether you see God or you miss God. So I want to encourage you to be fearless, to fear less, and know that God's using this time if you can just look through the eyes of faith, and He's given you faith to see that God is going to bring us out, He's going to bring us in, or He's going to bring us through. But be encouraged. We love you guys today. I pray that you have a wonderful rest of your weekend. Let me pray with you before we dismiss. Father, I ask you right now, for those that are watching on this uh, social media platform. I pray that those that are overcome with fear, those that are overcome with discouragement, those that are overcome with depressed, uh, with depression, those that uh, are wanting visitors to come and see them, but due to the restrictions, they're unable to do that. Those that are in the nursing homes, those that are in the senior citizens community. I pray, God, that you'd touch them in a special way today. You'd minister to their families and that you would encourage their hearts. I pray, Lord, that, that we would react and respond through eyes of faith when we consider what we're dealing with in our time. We know that you're on the throne, and when you're on the throne, we know sooner or later everything's going to be all right. So, Lord, I pray for those that uh, are dealing with all of this and are overwhelmed by it. Maybe somebody's watching and they're lost. I pray, Lord, that you would open up the eyes of their heart, that they may see you, that they may see their need for you, their need to repent of their sins, and that they would say, Lord, save me. Lord, it doesn't take a big word with fancy prayers for somebody to be born again. It just takes purity and sincerity from our heart. And Lord, we know we need you. So Father, for that one that may be watching, I pray that you deal with them, that you would draw them to yourself, that you'd save them, that you'd use this time to minister to those that are watching. In Jesus' name, amen.